Hello, we're back in the room. Another year begins, and we're ready for another venture into the wiggly waves of soons and softers. Not to be confused with wiggly softers and wavy soons. I'm Frida Morrison, and welcome to Scots Radio. Let me introduce with Ian Wizard the Soons, Inter Richie Warner. Hey, how are you, It's New Year, Richie. It's New Year. Another I'm year. Another year begins. <laughs> magical. It is a magical time of year. Of course it, it is. It's Aye. a magical time. Right, did you hear fine time? Ah, of course I did. Aye. I just got in bed quite early because of the wee ones, but we did family Kayleys and stuff. Family so Kayleys, oh, I know. Oh, Kayleys season. Oh, I had a good time as well. <laughs> Hi. What did you but, get up to? Uh, well, I had some parties. I had family seasons as well. There you family go. gatherings. And Families kind of, and parties. Aye. I just, I love that. I just <laughs> love this time of year. And it's that time when folk furl fiery bars and tarry barrels through the air. And Vikings march <laughs> through the day and night to burn the boat. Well, they do. They furl fiery of bars. they do. They can fiery things out of the place, furling. <laughs> and fits it off for Richie. Fits it off for Apart from a lot of heat in the car like this one, you're right enough, right? It's magic. It's magic. It it's magic. tradition, of magic. course. Tradition. Hard enough, you're on Wigmaleries and Wuzzles. Nothing worse than Wigmaleries and Wuzzles at this time of year. <laughs> Aye, especially when you're wearing the kilt. Indeed. And just when we think it's half finished, in comes the Burn Suppers. The Burn Suppers starts. I thought you were going to see the Earl Squad there. <laughs> <laughs> Moving quickly on. Mayor, about that later on. On behalf of the Scots Radio team, let me wish you felicitations of the epoch. In other words, Happy New Year. But there's a lot of magic in this season, as Richie says. For the traditions of first footing to Widdishans, I mean, we spoke at length about oh, Widdishans. We spoke about that in 54, me, episode me 54, a long time ago, a long time ago. Remind Richie, it's Robert Burns, and then there's Tamashanta. Tamashanta. Superstition again. Huh? Uh, and mine and here, look at our video on our webpage featuring Donald Smith at the Storytelling Centre in Ember on Burns and Tamashanta. It's a classic. Just a classic. And speaking about magic, we have a magic guest, Michael Hans, past director of the Scots Language Centre. He joins us in the studio to tuck a drama for he goes. But before all that, to tuck us into the gunnels of the programme... This is Faye Duncan Chisholm's new CD, Sandwood. Duncan won Best Composer and Best Album at the recent Trad Awards in Perth. This is Perfect Storm.
Duncan Chisholm for his series Sandwood that won Album of the Year at the Reason Trad Awards and Duncan had a hat-trick winning Composer of the Year at the Trad Awards as well. And while I'm there, a big thank you to Simon Tumier and his team for the hospitality at a really first-class event. Scots Radio was honoured to present the award for services to Scots posthumously to poet, novelist, scriptwriter and playwright and champion of the Scots language, Janet Paisley. Liz Niven's tribute to Janet and Gerda Stevenson's monologue, oh, Janet's Charlene, was truly a highlight. In this special New Year edition of Scots Radio, we're celebrating folk magic and community traditions, thinking about dreaming bread and skyry stains with Amanda Edmiston and the team, and we hear about swords in their place in history with Dr Valentina Bold, and we taste the magical elixir that gings back hindies, the honey drink that is made in the Mackin. Ah, that and mare, with music and ah, and we've got a special studio guest with Broken Out the McVitie's Digestive Biscuits in special honour, and no expense spared. Let me introduce our special studio guest, recent past director of the Scots Language Centre. Welcome, Mr. Michael Hans. No <laughs> 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 expense spared, Michael. Well, welcome to Scots Radio. No, we need to get into the nitty gritties of it. Aye. Director for 17 years. Who did you start? I suppose I was I interested in, in language and listening to folk. And when I was a bear, and I was I interested in the way folk spoke. And I was interested in uh, what folk were saying and their accents and the language they used and all that kind of stuff. And, and I think for me, it's just I've been a, a lifelong kind of passion. And my mother was uh, a Shetlander, you see. Well, she still is. She's she's eye alive. And um, but we we grew up in Aberdeen, so we can't. There was this different voices that folk could hear because my mother spoke Shetland on the phone to our mm-hmm. folk, and then round about was about us in Aberdeen, the folk spoke in different wise. There was some folk spoke for the class Scottish Standard English, and other folk spoke. Uh, fit folk car nowadays, Doric, but uh, Scots, mm-hmm. uh, the northeast version of Scots. So I was I listening to folk and interested in folk and uh, something. I, I do that's far it's far it began. Did you did you say that at one point you, you were I wondering something's wrong with being Scottish? Was that not something like kind of twigged in your lugs and well, your heat? I think fit I interested me was the notion that there was something about Scottishness in arts different forms that was somehow or other wrong and that, that, that this forms of Scottishness whoever they uh, exhibited themselves, whether it was in language or any other kind of mm-hmm. form somehow or other had to be corrected and you can as well as I do that fun uh, in the old days, I think it still happens um Barons was dealt at school, need to speak in a certain way. And all this kind of thing interested me. The, the idea that there's wrong things and right things, and sometimes uh, you can't exactly tell why that things has been designated as right and wrong. And I do, uh, over a long period of years, I was I thinking, what is it that really marks this words that's coming out of folks' mouths wrong compared to other words that comes out of other folks' mouths? So it was just a thing that I was I thinking about, really. So did you hear a mission statement or a mission statement in your head when you started started off? 
fit in life. Uh, well, <laughs> well, in life, I may be going to your life mission statement, I mean, and I'm thinking there about your, you know, your fascination with language, and you kind of notice there was rest language and there was wrong language. So when you got how do the the Scots Language Centre as a director did you hear a mission statement? Well, it's not really that got hud it. It was nobody else wanted it. <laughs> I think it's the truth. Um, but for me, the, the the things that I've been about trying to encourage folk to feel positive about their own language and need to think there's something wrong with it. And for for a long, long time, folks been taught that the way they speak is somehow rather wrong. And my feeling is that. Uh, our job at the centre was to present an alternative vision uh, of what's, what that language actually is and what it constitutes and who it connects to a centuries-old culture. So uh, I do that's what you'd call a mission statement. I'm, never, I'm not really a mission statement kind of, um, kind of guy, to be honest, but that was a thinking. It was about changing folks' views about something that they owned. So it changed them from thinking this is something that needs corrected to something that needs celebrated. So were you trying to show through example or maybe creating conditions for examples could be heard and maybe seen or, or used? Aye, well, I do. The, the, the main thing for me is you get to get to the stage where folk feel differently about the language that's coming out of their mouths. What you have to do is 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 somehow or other contextualise the language. Um, so I was thinking about what is it that prevents people seeing this thing positively or thinking about it positively? And I tried to think about who we could mark differences to the way folk thought about their own language. So it's making folk aware of their language. Well, precisely. And I think the main thing for me has been about linguistic, for ICAR, linguistic self-consciousness. And that kind of sounds a bit complicated, but it's not really. It's really about thinking, uh, this is the language and the words and forever that come out of my mouth. Uh, and fit I call it? Fit is it? Fit is it? This thing. This thing, the Scots language. The Scots language, aye. aye. So, for me, it was about trying to mark folk aware of the existence of something that they owned themselves, that they kent about, that they were the experts in, but didn't hear a name for a lot of the time. I mean, folk do hear names for it in different bits of Scotland. But in certain bits of Scotland, folk didn't even ken fit this thing's card. They've need name for, for the stuff that comes out. Uh, or, or the name that they cut is something maybe pejorative. Sometimes they'll cut slang or b- broken English or bad English or something like this. So if it, I was, what I wanted to do was to think about who do you make folk feel positive about this thing and who do you get them to uh, get a name that's positive? Michael Grant, let's break a wee minty there for some mere music. Right, this is a group that was really very, very popular at the recent Trad Awards. This is Canaris Quintet with their new album, Free One. Oh, 
Paris Quintet for their album Free One. You're listening to Scots Radio. This is Frida Morrison with me in the studio. Our special guest, the past director of the Scots Language Centre, Michael Hans. That fairly gets rid of the wuzzles and wig malarious, Michael. Right, you've been director for 17 years. And uh, what would you say was the biggest turn in the road in regards to the centre? You know, I suppose the biggest turn in the road was discovering or deciding that the best way to to going forward was to move for thinking about the centre as providing physical resources to building a centre online and I think that changed Athen before that we were I struggling to think about well fit can we do with forever the wee bit money we had uh, would provide and then we came to a decision um, it was nearly a Damascene thing. I mean, it's just obvious to anybody it was looking at what was happening in the world that there really wasn't any other place to go but online. And so what we did was we changed from being uh, a physical centre to an online centre. So it became and changed more, more modern, more kind of 21st century, 20th century into 21st century. But well, it I tell you, what you, what you could do was the money was that smart that there was really nothing you could do offline with the money other than just exist as a little wee office. And that same money could make a huge difference online because the number of folk you could reach was massive compared to being online. And so we just, uh, I've, I thought that the most important thing the centre can do is talk to the community of Scots speakers. There's no point in being a centre for the Scots language if you didn't speak to uh, Scots speakers themselves. You see, I, I, I love the idea of subliminals in, in your website. You've got uh, a lot of stuff on the website, a lot of different variations of poetry to, to philosophies and stuff. And you've got you know, conversations of folk on the, on the website as well. Everything's in there. But you kind of get a, a, a feeling that there's there's a kind of feeling that there's a respect and a dignity being gained to this, this, the Scots language without actually dunting folk in the heat saying this is what we're doing. Well, if it's a pint in dunting folk in the heat in only circumstances, well, I mean, I can think it two or three <laughs> folk right, I'd uh-huh. like to dunt in the heat. <laughs> uh, but uh, I'll not say far they are. But uh, generally speaking, it isn't a good approach to life, dunting folk in the heat. And I think the best way to speak about Scots is to speak in Scots and particularly to, to, to speak. I think there's been a lot of emphasis over the years on writing for a whole range of reasons and most of them quite respectable, sensible reasons. But for our perspective, what we wanted to do was to do more uh, about speaking so that fun folk came to the website, they would be able to hear voices that they recognised. So that fun, the question arises, what is this Scots language or what's Scots or what is the Scots language or whatever folk are asking? When they come to our site, they can hear it. And I think it's the best way to answer the question. Well, if you want to ken fit this thing is, listen to these folks speaking. And uh, then you'll ken fit it is we're talking about. And I think, uh, for me, this re- revelation about hearing a lot of speech came from listening to some programme on the radio about Romance language, which is a minority language spoken in Eastern Switzerland. And after I was listening to this programme, I was thinking, I'd like to hear this language, because I didn't really ken what it sounded like. So I went onto the internet and googled Romance, and I went to some Romance language organisations, and there was no Romance. I mean, there was written Romance, but mm-hmm. you couldn't hear anybody speak. And of course, fit 
it, if it occurred to me after that was if we were going to build a web presence with hey-to-hey speech, with hey-to-hey folks speaking, so folk would can fit this thing ways and fit it sounded like. But does this stem from your belief that the Scots language, I think it's turning new, but that time wasn't again the, the, the respect and the dignity that it deserved? Well, nobody was asking for it. So it's not like, you can't just say, oh, nobody's giving us respect and nobody's giving us dignity. But far was asking for respect and dignity. Really, nobody, and folk for the communities, if, they're not, if they don't ken they've got this special thing, this why you're speaking, it's special, it's not war or better as anybody else's why you're speaking. If folk didn't ken this, they're never going to demand respect and dignity. So I think we're... Uh, our aim, the, the kind of overarching aim, was to create conditions for folk would think, well, we deserve respect and dignity, but you can't come for your position in knee activism and knee cultural awareness and knee self-conception as a language community and expect folk to think, oh, I need to have respect and dignity. So it's about folk like you and me uh, helping to create conditions for folk think, I, I do re- uh, deserve respect and dignity and fit why am I not getting it? I mean, you telling me that, you know, <coughs> sometimes you think that castles and big houses and wilderness areas are getting mere recognition and mere respect and dignity than the Scots language. But that's, you know, without the Scots language, it doesn't mean an awful lot, does it? Well, not really. And I, <coughs> excuse me, I think fit uh, the problem... I didn't think there's something wrong with, with castles and uh, uh, rare floors and whatever getting funded. But folk think about heritage as these inanimate, uh, I mean, a floor is not inanimate, of course, but I, they think about heritage as something that's fixed. It doesn't move. It doesn't really hate only life. It's kind of stuck in a, in a time. But the, th- the thing about Scots is Scots is a living uh, culture, uh, the language is spoken every day of the week by thousands, hundreds of thousands of folk in Scotland, uh, and it doesn't have the same level of support as maybe castles in uh, fancy houses or forever. And so, for me, it's about trying to make um, folk aware that this thing is important and deserves to be supported. And you want to hear folk speaking it, real folk speaking. Well, see, for me, I've never really ever... It's a terrible admission to Mark, but if I tried to kind of hide it in a way, but to, I'm not really interested in Scots language writing, <laughs> so I'm very interested in <laughs> Scots language speaking. And my own interest in Scots comes for speaking, comes for listening and hearing folks speak. And the speech, to me, is the most interesting and uh, important aspect of it. And I ken a lot of folk like writing, and I ken the cultural institutions like to back writers and whatever. But for me, there has to be mere speaking and there has to be mere emphasis on speaking when folk are thinking about developing positions on Scots and Scots language policy. Right. This is Iona Fife. Now, Iona was voted Scots Singer of the Year at the Trad Awards in Perth and she's going to be singing a bothy ballad, Sleepy Too. I can like to hear Iona speaking. She's been promoting the language a lot in her tours. So Iona Fife and Sleepy Too and congratulations to Iona on her award, Scots Singer of the Year at the Natrads. It happened at last bit and day I tired on my place And I got up to inch to fee my fortune for to chase And sing I met in we had a match to fee we did presume. He's a fair man in Kenneth Metan 
empty hand If you and I agree, he says You'll hear the fairest play But in every bed my servants work I've been ten hours a day And sing aidy editty haddy And sing aidy editty and And sing aidy editty haddy And sing aidy editty and Iona Fife and Sleepy Tune, and congratulations to Iona on her award, Scots Singer of the Year at the Natrads. Now, and continuing the magic theme we mentioned earlier, I had the delight and pleasure of being invited to join the gathering at the Storytelling Centre in Embra a couple of Saturdays ago to take part in a celebration of Scottish folk magic and community traditions. It was called Dreaming Bread 
and skyry stains, and it was a magical day, Arun. Richie would have loved this oh, day. That sounds incredible. Uh, oh, there was right. a lot of speaking about food. We like speaking oh, about food. food. Good. And dreaming bread? Heard about this? Ah, well, fist that then. Well, what I can find out is, it's traditionally bread, uh-huh. like shortbread, used in Scottish weddings. It oh, was really? broken over the heed. Or the bride. Really? I, saw, I, can, I didn't think if it was going to clap it on her skull. I can't there was something missing for fe, fe, me and Louisa's like, <laughs> ceremony start, like, you know? Didn't start bragging Smash. biscuits with Louisa's feet. Really? Aye. But is there still time? That's for this. No. <laughs> <laughs> and skyry stains? What's that then? And before you ask, uh-huh. you didn't eat skyry stains. Oh, no. It's magical stains. Is that actually stains? It's stains. Right. Okay, magical stains. Uh-huh. Okay, just accept it. Magical stains. stains. A magical stain. The organisers were Scott Richardson Reed and Amanda Edmiston, and supported by Folklore Thursday. It was a packed house and a packed agenda with the morning presentations. So we drew breath at half day, and I got the chance to speak to Amanda about what was on the agenda for the rest of the day. Well, more stories. I've just been listening to Jess Smith talking about the Tinker's Heart and our uh, childhood on the road. We've had Claire Hewitt sharing a beautiful, beautiful story and we've got Dr Valentina Bold who's talking about swords and protective stories iron. Of swords, stories of the swords. Yeah, I'm going to catch up with that. Oh, I would. She's fabulous. <laughs> I, am I always looking for relevance and fits the relevance of this? What do you think is going to be the, the lasting legacy or idea like this? Well, for me, it's a bit like stories. Stories need to be not just written down, they need to be told because when you tell them, they naturally adapt to the place and the audience you're telling them to. If we keep looking at these stories and the facts and the plant use in traditional medicine, all these different elements that are coming together, they keep growing and they keep being important for people. We need to use them and connect with them and not lose them because they're our connection to the places we live in, our ancestors, and taking it forward, they, I don't know, the happy, for me, part of the joy of today, seeing the happiness on everyone's face, how many people have been coming up and wanting to talk to me about it and saying how important they think it is and how much we need this grounding, well-loved, well-kent traditions to keep going, especially in today's world, I think. Well, we just, you know, had a lovely introduction to the, 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 the magic wells and the, the uh-huh. sacred wells. And I've yeah. just been going through uh, a lovely session and the making and the history and the, the relevance of mead. I know. And we had a wee sample of Oh, mead. did you have a wee sample, a wee sample of mead? Oh, mead. I missed that. So now I'm looking forward to launch. I'm looking forward to catching up with Dr. Valentina Bowl. Um, Amanda, thank you for this. It's been great. Thank you for joining us, Frida. It's lovely to see you again. <laughs> Amanda Edmiston, co-organiser of the Dreaming Bread and Skyry Stains Day. Well, as you heard there, I was looking forward to catching up with Dr Valentina Bold and hearing her presentation entitled For God's Sake Protect Me, The Mythology of Swords. Now, Valentina is Principal Knowledge Exchange Fellow, Strathclyde University, and Senior Lecturer in English Studies at the University of Stirling. So after the session, I had the chance to take some time with Valentina and ask what was the importance of swords in Scottish culture? Well, it's a good question because I think um, swords are, are very present in Scottish culture traditionally. So there are ballad mentions of swords, there are myths about swords. Um, Ossian had a very famous sword that was forged in a magical smithy by four-armed smiths. 
So they, they, they have a long-standing presence, and I think one of the interesting things about swords is that they appear as powers for violence, but they also have associations with peace and peacemaking. Mm-hmm. So they've got that kind of double-edged, no pun intended, <laughs> side to them, really. So it's just, you know, we know about the Scalibur. We know about uh, King Arthur, the Round Table, and uh, all the Merlin magic. And, 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 but what else do we know about in swords? Well, the interesting thing is that swords, real swords, surface from time to time. And quite recently I had the fortune and pleasure of working with a sword that came to light during a collections reorganisation in Dumfries and Galloway. So the sword belongs to Annan Museum and it's believed to have belonged to Kinmont Willie Armstrong, notorious border reaver, celebrated in story and song. 1500s? 1596 is the date that he's best known for, uh, where he was illegally captured on a day of truce at Kershope Foot in the borders and taken to Carlisle Castle and subsequently liberated by the Scots of Buccleuch and their friends from both sides of the border. The Grahams came into it as well. Grahams came into it, yes. So if it happened, how how did the sword come come into the the story? Well, it's really interesting because it did, I mean, it's interesting to me and I hope to other people too, but it, um, as I say, turned up in a museum's audit. So it was actually in a collection of blades, which were agricultural. So it was mixed up with plough blades, old hose, that kind of thing Uh Uh, and nobody really knows how it came into the collection. The thing about it though was it came with a label and that's where the story starts really Uh, the label said that it belonged to Kinmont and Willie Armstrong, notorious freebooter and there's a little reference to Walter Scott's minstrelsy and Scott was the first person to publish the ballad of Kinmont Willie in 1802. Now in your your, uh, uh, address this afternoon, did you did you mention that uh, Scott was related to Kinmont Willie at some point? He he had a tangential interest to the story because the people that liberated Kinmont Willie in the jailbreak part of his, his um, real-life story uh, included the, the warden of the Western March on the Scottish side in that time who was a Scot of Buccleuch and Walter Scott had connections with, with that family and one of the jailbreaking party was uh, Scott of Harden who was a direct... Scott was a direct descendant of him. So it's our link to the sword, the new discovery Aye. of the sword. Come on, look for the Well, I'll, I'll give the credit of the discovery to the museum team in uh, Dumfries and Galloway. Siobhan and Fiona, two of the curators there, were the ones who brought that sword to light. So describe the sword just before we, we go into your interest where it started. It doesn't actually look like very much. It's about a metre, three foot long, rusty metal. It doesn't have a hilt on it. It really doesn't look like much at all when you see it. Well, we're getting more accustomed to swords and, and uh, festival swords because we've Aye. just had the, the film The Outlaw King. Yeah, 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 yeah. How does it compare with Robert the Bruce's sword? Well, it's smaller. <laughs> it's it was a, a huge sword, wasn't it? The, well, the Bruce's... He was the, a big man. He was a big man. But this is a sword that's for fighting um, on, on horseback, basically. So it's light, ah. it's flexible, it's fit for purpose and it's, you know... Not a very nice purpose, and Kinmont Willie was somebody who, you know, is on record as having killed many people personally, as men did. Mm-hmm. So this is a this is a practical weapon. It's not a, an ornamental mm. something for your 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 cabinet when you had it. It's for it's for killing people, for maiming them, for stopping them when they're trying to stop you still stealing your stuff. No, you just you know the busiest folk I've ever come across because I've, I've I've been trying to catch up with you for a long time. <laughs> One last question, because I can. The, the, the next session's about to Aye. start, but thanks for this, Valentina. But who did your, your interest in swords begin? 
Well, my interest in swords began with Kinmont Willie Sword. Um, just being able to touch that, to have that actual connection to the 16th century, to have that connection to a border ballad. For me, it's a, it's a sword that comes to life because it has a story and a song attached to it. It gives you that real sense of actually touching the violent life of 16th century Scotland and getting a sense of the people who handled it. That's a sword that really has a story to tell. That's how I got interested. Okay, fucking folks see it. Well, it was on exhibition last year mm-hmm. in Dumfries and Annan, but I think, and your scoop is, that I think there are plans to put it on display permanently. And I'm going to be launching a little booklet about it at Dumfries Museum that was supported by the Society of Antiquaries of Scotland. So hopefully that sword will go on display at some point in the future. Valentina, thank you. That's a pleasure. Thanks very much. Dr Valentina Bold. And still in swashbuckling mode, this is Arthur Johnson. We... Scots wa he we wallace blad Scots wumbrous has often led Welcome to your gory bed or to victory Now's the day and now's the hour See the front O battle lower, see your prod, proud Edward's power, chains and slavery. War will be a traitor knave, walk and fell a coward grave, was the base as be a slave. Let him turn and flee War for Scotland's king and law Freedom sought will strongly draw Freemen stand or freemen fall Let him follow me By oppression's woes and pains By your sons in servile chains We will drain our dearest veins But they shall be free Lay the proud usurpers low and fall and every foe Liberties and every blow Let us do all the Wow. Scots Wahey, written by Robert Burns, and the leader in singing there was Arthur Johnson. From Volume 2, Complete Songs of Robert Burns. Now, you heard me mention Mead uh, when I was speaking to Valentina Gold and uh, Amanda Edmiston. Mead, Richie, have you come across Mead? Mead? Well, I can the Lindisfarne stuff. Aye. Mine, Dax, the monks kind of made it, didn't Aye. they? Aye, Abdi thinks it's monks, you see. Aye. Well, it was the very mention that is so good. And you mentioned that, well, I mentioned that I had partaken of a wee schnifter of the aforementioned mead. Right? A wee schnifter I had, oh. yes. And the man that was telling us about the mead and the Mackinot and the history of this drink was called. Christopher Mullen for Rookery Craft Mead, based in Blair Gowrie. Now, Chris tell me more about the magical elixir. Mead is, some say it's the oldest alcoholic drink in the world. It is honey fermented into alcohol. 
But in terms of the oldest alcoholic drinks in the world, they were usually a mixture of cereals, of honey, of fruit, and any sugar source that people could find back then. But it goes back to then, it goes back to the Neolithic. So there's Neolithic, there's iron, no, there's, there's uh, the so Bronze Age and Iron Age, so this is Neolithic. So before yes. the Bronze Age, yeah. and that sort of the year, so we're going right, right way back, as far as we can go. A long time ago. Now, is it true that it was only the monks that made it? That's not true. I mean, that, that is a part of the story, and that's a really important part of the story, but it's a worldwide story and it goes back much, much further. We, we've got meads being found in Scotland way back in about 4,000 years ago. So the recipe is no longer a secret because you're making it. It's, it's pretty basic. Honey, water, yeast. Can't get simpler than that. So how long does it keep for? I mean, can you, can you make it or do you have to drink it immediately? Not at all. Um, because certainly the way I make it, I use quite a high alcohol content in the yeast that I use. So we've got antibacterial honey. We've got a nice simple recipe with very few in uh, anything else to go off because it's all done with clean equipment and I've got high alcohol content so it preserves it. So my meads, the way I make them, tend to last forever under the bottle and then after you've opened it you've got a couple of years to drink it so don't hurry. There's a lot of magic about mead, I think. Massively so. I mean, both in terms of the folklore that I've looked at and some of the archaeology that we can draw inferences from. We've got stories about the magic stick. So uh, a stick used to stir the pot was known as the magic stick. We think possibly that that was a stick that would have the yeast cells in it. So that, that helps to uh, set off fermentation. There's all sorts of myth lore surrounding it. Irish, Welsh tales, Norse tales. It goes back as far as you want and it's, it's in every part of the world as well. We find, sorry, we find it in the Rig Veda, which is a 4,000 year old Northern Indian uh, set of hymns, it goes so far back. And of course there's the folklore about the bees and the connection with the bees as well, isn't it? Indeed, and the bees by both Irish and Welsh laws were considered to be part of the family. And as a good little trick, if you've got something burdening you, you can nip outside, find some bees and you can whisper it to them. They'll keep your secrets safe. And you've got to tell the Queen it as well. Ideally, yes. Having a little bit to do with bees myself. I've, been, <laughs> I've heard folks have got to tell the Queen about the, the secrets. Or if something disturbing you or worrying you, you, you share it with the That's Queen it. Bee. They're That's part right. of the family. They'll help you get you through your troubles. All right. So what attracted you to this? I was studying Gallic at Aberdeen University quite a long time ago. Um, and in doing the language, we also study a lot of the literature and the folklore as well. So we came across a tale called E. Godothen, written, well, composed in the 6th century AD, um, written down a wee bit later, but it talks about mead and it was a bunch of warriors who were hired to fight and they were given mead. So that was this sacred bond, a sacred oath, uh, a contract if you like, between the king who was based in what we now call Castle Rock, Edinburgh Castle, and he sent his 300 warriors down south to fight and it was a tragic tale. They were all killed, all, all, all but one were killed. Um, so the whole of the poem is about how dreadful this ensnaring, sweet, but ultimately untrustworthy mead, untrustworthy mead was. So in reading these sorts of stories, as a young undergrad, I went home, brewed some up and fell in love. And I've been oh, making it for 25 years now. So how much mead do you make? Um, last year I made four and a half thousand litres. Wow. Yeah, quite a lot. Excuse me, 4,500 bottles, ah. 2,800 litres. That's a lot. That's quite a lot. That's quite but I'm still tiny. I'm still one-man operation. There's me, my family help out, but there's basically right. me uh, in terms of making it, and I've got a friend who helps out in the market still sometimes. So are you going to kind of maybe branch out into other things? Have you looked at the other products? No, uh, not really. Do one thing and do it well, I believe. Right. 
Right. Now, one last question. Are you going to share the... Um, is there a secret ingredient in yours? <laughs> are you laughing? There, there are some secrets, but I'm usually pretty open. And actually, one of the things I like, to, I love to do is when I meet people in, in the, the market stalls, I do various farmers markets and events, we start talking and all of a sudden they decide they want to make mead. More than happy to help people through it. So I've got a number of correspondents whom I assist in making their own meads. And I just love mead. Okay. Simple as that, so if, I like more people making mead. If folk want to get in contact with how do they do that? Do, uh, contact me at sales at rookery.scot um, or the website is www.rookery.scot. Simple as that, get in touch. Chris, I'll do that. Thank you very much. <laughs> Chris Mullen for Rookery Craft Mead, based in Blairgowrie, and it is good. I had a snifter. <laughs> You're listening to Scots Radio, this is Frieda Morrison, and with me is our soon sorter Richie Werner. Aye, aye, how are we He's doing? there, right? And as I mentioned earlier in that, me and Richie have a studio guest. Why we did? Here we are, in this special New Year episode. It is indeed special, because it's Michael Hans, the new past director <laughs> of the Scots Language Centre. Folk can be coming up, you say, you used to be Michael Hans, didn't you? They did that to me. Oh, I've nipped the kids fire. Oh, the boy. The dev. The D-new. The D-new. After I'm a war. The past. He used to be Michael Hans. Right. Now, we're coming up to the year of indigenous languages, indigenous languages, as proposed by the UN, as appointed by the UN. <sighs> It's your wish list for this year because you've been through it all. You've been through all the politics. You've been through all the shuggling of the chains and the, and the wires and the, the bits and bars. So what would you want to see happening new? Well, it's the same thing I've, I wanted. Through all the time I've been involved in Scots language, uh, activism and working in the Scots language, mayor speaking. I've said that before and I'll say it again. We just need to hear folks speaking Scots. So if there's any proposals or any ventures or any kind of projects that comes up, it emphasises speaking, then I think that would be something very welcome. Right. Pinpoint on for us. Far are we new at this moment? Fit why do you th- fit why are you speaking about like? Well, if we, are we going? Are we progressing? Are we treading water? Or are we going back away? Well, I didn't really care if it's half easy to judge. Uh, I didn't think it's as bad as it was, uh, but um, I didn't care if as many folk are speaking Scots as was speaking Scots before. So, in some ways, there's a mere positive environment. But I didn't care if that's translating into numbers of folks speaking. And so a lot of that would, a lot of, well, the why you could judge whether or not we were being successful or if we'd moved forward is by looking at data, is seeing who money folk are speaking Scots. But we didn't really hear that data because there's not been a lot of research in the past. And then the, the little bit of data we hear the new is for the census in 2011. But for me, it's the inaudibility of Scots in um, public space. It's the biggest problem. And broadcasting, maybe? Well, I mean, broadcasting's really fit I'm speaking about, I suppose, uh, because you just didn't hear it. It's ridiculous, really. When you think about the vast majority of folk, there are a lot of folk in this country anyway. I didn't really care if vast majority is the right way to say it, but a lot of folk in this country speak Scots. 1.5 million. 1.6 million for the 2011 census. Aye. Aye. So whether that's right or wrong, or whether some of that folk doesn't speak Scots, or some of the folk was maybe missed out at the census, 
about one and a half million is probably right. But fit word, you would never hear anybody in broadcast space speaking Scots. Just doesn't exist. Um, and I think that's the biggest absence. After the census results came out in 2013, it took them two years to analyse the data and then they produced the results in 2013. Um, the thing I said at the time was fit we needed uh, by why a response to that that number was plans to produce cartoons for barons on TV. Because folk are saying, well, fit, fit should you do when you fin out that there's 1.5 million folk speak Scots? And my idea, my uh, belief has I been, you need to give young barons uh, opportunities to hear the voices they hear in their families, in their communities. They, they need to hear them echoed in broadcast space. So I, I'm still thinking the same thing. If you didn't give folk uh, broadcast material in their own language, it threatens the future existence in that language. Apart from the fact it's just a complete violation of linguistic rights. But far would you start? That's my last question. Far would you start? We've, we've identified there's a lack in, in the broadcast arena uh, for Scots language. Far would you, I mean, how do you think about starting it? Do you have a school for broadcasters in Scots or... Do you just try and bring it through the schools that way or give folk mere, mere experience in the broadcast studio? Well, I didn't really ken a lot about broadcasting, to be honest. I didn't really ken about the mechanics of fit you need to do. But I do that there's folk that does ken about that stuff that could come up with plans. But I'll tell you something that just strikes me as really strange and unusual. You can the most popular Scots-speaking characters in Scotland are Urwelly and the Bruins. Now, in only normal culture, you would have had that animated. You would have had the cartoon strips animated and you would have heard Urwelly speaking. It's just unbelievable when you think about it, that Nineas Cain fit his students like. And he's the biggest Scots-speaking hero of uh, the whole uh, Ur culture. And that kind of thing just is, is bizarre when you actually think about it. Fitwise, nobody ever animated Ur Willie, for example. It's a strange situation. So I didn't get the answer to your question, to be honest, Frida, because I didn't get about broadcasting. But I'm hoping that through this whole process of activism and uh, increasing linguistic self-consciousness in forever, that some folk at D can about this stuff will mark the changes it's needed. Fit a challenge you've just thrown out. Kind of animate your Wally and the Broods. Fit a great way to stop this. On behalf of Scots Radio, uh, Michael, we would like you to hear a wee present. It's a wee bottle of the Rookery Craft Mead. Oh, fit fine, fit fine. I love, I love anything alcoholic. She <laughs> can't be it's fine. It's body wrapped up for the Cranahoon and Crowdy shop up in the Royal I, Mile. Wrapping, I'll come off it's easy, wrapping with that body. And it's a small thank you for all your hard work, your support. And I have to mention here that it was mainly through an idea that you had that Scots Radio was started. Richie! 
Uh, straight eye. It was Michael's idea. I look for, look for look it. Look for Look for it. Look at that. A shadow. You're a shadow. A shadow. I used to be afraid of all of them. That's right. <laughs> do your, do your, just liberty. No, you wouldn't have greet when I present this. I, I'm, oh, no, I'm not greeting. I'm no. really pleased, I'm, actually. I'm, I love anything <laughs> alcoholic. And I've been, I, I've, I've been looking, I've been thinking about trying mead for a long time. Oh, this is it. This is the best thing. I might fear to like it. No, you will. Uh, you if will. I didn't know, at least I've not put the money out for it. See <laughs> <laughs> oh, But as long as you didn't agree, we're not here for greeting in this programme, Richie. Oh, no. We've got no, our standards. I'm laughing, I'm laughing. This is, we've got our standards. <laughs> right, music before he starts needing the hankies again. This is Janet Russell with the Burns song, There Was a Lass. There was a lass and she was fair at Kirk and there could be seen when our fairest maids were met the fairest maid was Bonnie Jean and I she rocked her mommy's work and I she sang merrily the blithest bird upon the bush had ne'er a lighter head than she but hawks will rob the tender joys that bless the little land white's nest, and frost will blight the fairest flues, and love will break the soon distressed. Young Robbie was the proudest lad, the fur and pride of the glen, and he had. And he gave nine of ten. He did with Jeannie Taylor Trist. He danced with Jeannie on the den. And long ere worthless Jeannie West, her head was pent, her face was As in the bosom of the stream, the moon Then the priest of Dead na genie's head loud blacked, and dead na jai blank and hurry. As Robbie told a tale of love, I eat on the lily The sun was sinking in the west, the birds sang sweet and elko grow his cheek to Oh, Jeannie, 
Janet Russell, we there was a lass. That was beautiful. And that's for Robert Burns, The Complete Songs, Volume 11. Now, I have been honoured to meet so many wonderful folk in my travels across the crowded years. And my next spooky session is with any of my favourites. When I first saw Jane Broom, it was on a film, Teen in Australia, and Jane was addressing a Burns supper as the president of the Robert Burns World Federation. And she was stunningly good. I found out that Jane had travelled 80,000 miles as president in that year. And when I met up with Jane, she was just about to retire after 20 years as manager of the Globe Inn in Dumfries. Now, the Globe Inn was much favoured by Robert Burns in his last nine years of life. And Jane expressed concern about the, the future of the inn. It's been there since 1610 and it needed special attention. Well, I'm half pleased to tell you that the Globe Inn has been bought over by the Annandale Distillery Company, owned by Teresa Church and David Thompson. And they plan to preserve the historic site. More on that in the new year. Jane Bruin will be pleased to hear the news and as a celebration... I went to revisit the Globe Inn and my session with Jane. I sat with her in the wee room, the wee house, for Burns often read out his poems to his cronies. I spent a magical while in there, with Jane telling me stories as only she can. Starting with Jane telling me through her love of Burns and I's work began. School, as a child, I entered a few competitions through the teacher and I came last most of the times because I was singing. Didn't have the greatest voice, but I tried. So I think it was a wee bit of a show-off anyway and just learned. I used to be a dancer and I was happy to be on stage and then I thought, oh, I'll try the singing and then the poetry came. But my dad was a Burnsian as well. Ah. So that was your influence? Yes, that was the initial influence. Now, you, you've gone on for there, though, and you started speaking at Burns Suppers, obviously. I just started in a house somewhere and thought, I can make people laugh, and then I was very passionate about Burns. But my... Um, Passions come more to the fore here at the Globe. I've been manager 20 years because the Burns Health Club are here and they have their big anniversary dinner every year and the Halloween night and the St Andrew's night and I hear all these wonderful speakers. So it was like a sponge. I just soaked everything up and became more and more passionate. I'm not an expert by any means. I'm a great enthusiast and I just picked everything up and it became Mm -hmm. more and more my passion. So we are sitting in the Globe, the Globe Inn, how, how, 
How old is this? 1610 it was established, but Burns was here in the 17, late 80s till he died in 1796. So I would say the last nine years of his life he was in Dumfries. And this was what he called his hauf, H-O-W-F-F. It means favourite haunt, favourite place to go. So when hubbies say, I'm going to the hauf, they know they're going to the pub. <laughs> OK, describe what we are sitting amongst here, Jane. We're sitting in what was the bar area. Now, the pan and all dates back to 1780, and the poet's chairs sitting by the fire. Now, the fire would have been working then, there'd be no electric light, candlelight. The waitresses would be coming through and filling up the tankards and the goblets. Loads of merriment. Burns would be sitting in that chair and he would be reading the papers for people because they came by coach and a lot of people couldn't read. So he was a very educated man in the area. And people would get out of their bed to see the bards in the building and come down and hear Burns and his news and his stories and he'd make people laugh. He's laughed at me sitting, sitting in that very chair behind you now. And if you sit in it, you have to recite a wee bit of Burns. If not, you've got to buy everybody in the pub a drink. I can the very poor. We've got to lament it. Right, describe it. We're just uh, looking at. Well, as I here. say, the panelling here all dates back to that time. We've got memorabilia now. We've got lovely pictures. But the picture on the wall there is his funeral procession, 1796, being a. Uh, taken through the town and at the front of the procession is what he called the awkward squad, the royal volunteers. We've still got a group of men that every July and Burns' uh, uh, death date, they come in dressed up as the royal volunteers and have a dinner and they call themselves by all the names of the people in that regiment at the time. And then we have above me here a picture of his funeral in 1896 and that would be the centenary. And in 1996 with the bicentenary, which is much more modern because it was a modern day thing, but the kids were involved, there was torchlight processions. It was a wonderful weekend. So a date for your diary, everyone, is 2096 to come back for the tricentenary. Can imagine for the do that? <laughs> okay. I would love to be there, but I think modern medicine will not be that well advanced well, you by then. Can, you know. <laughs> but you can, you can just, it is the atmosphere in here. Oh, it's wonderful. People just feel it. We do private dinners in here, like a wee table of 12 and table service, silver service, and you just feel as if Burns is with you because mm-hmm. the atmosphere in the dinner is just electric and people love it right. and they thoroughly enjoy a wee dinner in here. When we were in the other day, you were doing high teas. You did a yes. lot of high teas. And there we were do. some ladies in for high teas. Uh, um, yes, they were from a church guild uh, in Lark Hall. And then uh, today we've got... Cur- Kilmarnock Howth Club coming, 44 men coming for high tea and they have their scones and their cakes there and everything. There could be many places that could offer a room like this uh-huh. that to be steeped in history and a high tea. I know, I know. <laughs> and it's very reasonably priced. Aye. <laughs> it has to be said, very reasonably. Can we repeat that? Very reasonably, reasonably priced. priced. <laughs> and you don't pay for the room. I would imagine you hear a lot of folk for our world coming here. But what's going to happen to us when you're name managing it? Well... Unfortunately, I'm getting old now and I can't take the hours that is required treading mm-hmm. the boards and my legs and my feet, as you do. But the Burns side, for bookings of tours and things like this, if somebody wants to talk to me, I'm going to come back. I would never let them down. It's very important, the Burns side of the business, because of the heritage mm-hmm. and the chair and the bedroom upstairs and everything like that. So I will promise to come back and do those. A wee bit of pocket money for me too. A wee bit of poochie money. I <laughs> that, a wee bit of poochie money. <laughs> but I won't let them down. Burns for me is the globe 
and I'll have to keep coming back. A lot of people book in advance, so I'll know what to come in for, and I'll continue doing the Hive Club dinners because I'm too nosy. I want to hear what the speakers have got to say. <laughs> it's great to hear a good speaker. Oh, I it's love wonderful. A good speaker. Wonderful. And a good immortal memory, like what I heard you do. I mean, it's gold dust. Well, the best immortal memory here was a man called Tom Sutherland, who was a Beirut hostage. And he was incarcerated for six and a half years. But he was a Burns scholar and Burns kept his spirit alive in deep, dark cells in Beirut. He walked in here. He lit up the room with the warmth of his smile. He did an immortal memory that made 93 men and me cry. I'll never forget it as long as... There have been some excellent ones. I'm becoming emotional as well. That one was the most emotional and heartfelt because it kept him alive. Kept him alive, Robert Burns. He'd recite Tam O'Shanter every day to all his cellmates. And he slept in the bedroom. And I gave him a bucket for under the bed for his goes under. And it was a mayonnaise bucket a car covered with tartan paper. And he came through in the morning and says, Here you are, Jane, I've come to swill out. <laughs> I says, I nearly locked you in to make you feel at home. <laughs> he laughed like a dream. Unfortunately, he died there in October. Uh-huh. Wonderful person to meet. That's been the highlight of everyone, as much as I've met wonderful people. That man, I hope he's sitting up there now with Robert Burns, telling them what he did for him, kept the him alive. stories and swapping poems. Yeah. On that note again, give a poem. Maybe right. in your favourite Well, I love all his poems, and they're all different moods and things like this, Aye. but love, love poems, of course, and Jean was his constant love. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> the love of his life. And he wrote this wonderful poem, Parnassus Hill. This is the last couple of verses. Mm -hmm. By night, by day, I feel that him. The thoughts of thee, my breast inflame, and I, I muse and sing thy name. I only live to love thee. Though I were doomed to wander on beyond the sea, beyond the sun, till my last weary sand was run, till then, and then, I'd love thee. That's a wow. That is a wow. Isn't that a wow? You were saying you were filling up. No. I'm filling up. What do we like? We're sitting in any tissues. Wonderful. It's such an honour and such a pleasure speaking to you. Oh, it's been my pleasure. And it's been lovely to meet you. It's been really nice. And when I'm retired, we'll maybe get a blether somewhere else. We'll get a blether somewhere (laughs) else. I'll look forward to that, Jane. Thank you. Thank you. Jane Bruin, you know my favourite folk and a magical moment with Jane Bruin and the Globin and Dumfries surrounded by history. Now there's only a song and a singer to follow that and Michael Hans sitting here across the, the table for me, he's going to greet again, then I greet again. This is Robin Stapleton, a song dedicated to you Michael, it's called A Fond Kiss. A Fond Kiss and then Sever, hey, fare we all on then forever. Deep in her trunk, tears I'll pledge thee. Warring sighs and groans I'll wait thee. Who shall save that fortune? Grieves him while star of hope she leaves him. Me cheerful twinkle lights me. Dark 
Robin Stapleton with A Fawn Kiss by Robert Burns. And on that note, never met or never parted. We would never been broken hearted. Dedicated to Michael Hans, leaving the Scots Language Centre. After 17 years, I'm sorry you're leaving the centre, Michael. I'll be absolutely honest, but come back as something else in our team. We need your experience. And in this year of Indigenous languages, designated by the UN, can you promise to visit us throughout the year and give us your observations? I'm not letting you go, because you're the only intelligent team we can to observe things. Me and Richie, we lack the little bit of subtlety in our intelligence kind of stakes, I think. Ah, we need you. Oh, Would you promise? Aye, well, I didn't kind of forget it for me, but aye, I'll definitely be back. <laughs> Great. Thank, thank you for the invitation. We are on that note again, because, as you can hear... We're just pouring a little toast. Didn't make a mess of Richie's tablecloth here. That's, in the, that's his granny's tablecloth. He pinches it. Granny's table every year for this, you know. <laughs> okay, get your glasses charged. Let's just join this as well. Isn't that a lovely sand. Okay, that's Yuri. I haven't Cheers. made a mess yet. First night, Okay, right. Well, toasts are coming up. Toasties. Get your toasties. Right. 
are we ready? The us. Glasses charged. Here's to the new year, the new adventures, and new folk and all threes. May the win I be at your back for Richie Werner, myself, Rena Morrison, and our special guest, Michael Hans, new, our special new member of the team. Hey. Are you ready? Good New Year! Good New Year! And Cheers. one, two, three, bye, bye now! now. Oh, I didn't get enough to say that. I'll be sacked. I'll be sacked. Can we get some of your mead? Are we going to get some of his mead? You sure you want to employ him? Oh, that's funny. Get some of his mead somewhere. Look what I'm doing, get his mead. This is never getting opened. This is the only award I've ever had. In all the years I've worked for Scots language.